Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for March 19th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we talked to 4th District Congressman Bruce Westerman about the impact of the coronavirus on work at the U.S. Capitol the importance of his Trillion Trees Act, and other major issues for agriculture in the state. We also talked to an Oklahoma cattle broker about the impact of the virus crisis on beef cattle prices, and to the department head of animal science at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville about how livestock at the university are being cared for during the school's current shutdown. Finally, we chat about pesticide certification and training with a representative of the U of A Division of Agriculture. First, Ken Moore chats with Congressman Bruce Westerman from his office in Washington, D.C., about a range of issues from the challenges of the current work environment to his Trillion Trees Act introduced earlier this year and the expansion of rural broadband Internet access. I'm Ken Moore, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, I'm speaking with uh, U.S. Congressman Bruce Westerman. He is our congressman from the 4th Congressional District here in Arkansas, and we're going to talk about a variety of things on this edition of AgCast, but... uh, up front, uh, Congressman, and I do want to say thank you very much. I know you and your staff have been very, very busy here uh, today and over the last several days as the concerns over the spread of the coronavirus, the concerns increase, and our president continues to take action to allay the concerns of the American people and stress what he is doing through the administration to prevent its further spreading. And I know it's affecting the work you do there on Capitol Hill. If you will, Congressman, talk about how this is affecting your staff, your office, and uh, and just work there in in Washington. Well, Ken, it's always good to be with you. I was uh, it was great to see the Farm Bureau at their meeting in D.C. a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you know you're exactly right. The coronavirus is affecting everything right now. Uh, it almost doesn't seem real with um, the NCAA tournament canceled all these uh, athletic events put on hold, concerts being canceled, conferences being canceled. We have uh, policies in place on, on Capitol Hill where only members and and staff are allowed into the buildings. Uh, so I know spring break's coming up in Arkansas, and a lot of people were planning to come to D.C., and uh, you know, we had contacted or been contacted by, I think, like 120 to 130 uh, different groups of people who were wanting to to come by or, or needed information about coming to D.C. during spring break. Uh, you know, I love to do capital tours. Those are obviously off the table right now. Uh, so it's affecting things like that. Uh, we're still able as Congress to uh, you know, have meetings and uh, to work on legislation and, and, you know, do the business of Congress. And it's just affecting mainly the amount of visitors that are here. Uh, a lot of offices, uh, including mine, have gone to an office work or a home office work uh, environment. Uh, we have laptops. Uh, my staff today, this is Friday the 13th. Um, I believe this is airing next week. So uh, things could change by the time your podcast gets on the air. But uh, you know, we just watched the president's news conference. We saw the market react uh, very positively. We saw, uh, you know, a good Arkansas company represented there, Doug McMillan and Walmart, and uh, the way they're going to start doing testing 
uh, or allow space on their parking lots to do drive-through testing. Uh, you know, government's highly focused on this issue right now, and uh, and people's schedules are changing. Uh, we've got different policies in place, but we're still uh, here doing the work that needs to be done. And hopefully sometime today or this weekend we're going to be able to pass a package through the House to help some of these uh, folks that have been hurt the most by uh, the, the negative things that have happened with the coronavirus. Well, indeed. And uh, on that note, I mean, even though, as you referenced, many public events, uh, athletic events uh, have been either canceled or, you know, like the NBA season, uh, professional basketball, uh, hockey, uh, golfing, tournaments are canceled now for the next two to three weeks there's a lot of people out of work that uh, depend on those events taking place uh, for their livelihood and so they're going to need some support until this is resolved yeah and you know it's it affects people's schedules um if you see schools turned out then you have people who are working who Basically, you know, their kids are being taken up at school while they're at work. Uh, this can affect healthcare workers who may be trying, scrambling to find people to take care of the kids while school's out. It, it creates a lot of disruption, but it's necessary to reduce the spread of the virus and to slow down uh, the spread of it so that our healthcare system can can react to it. Um, so I think I think Americans realize that. Uh, we have to make sacrifices and, and things get changed up, and uh, that's part of it. In the long run, we want to look back and say, uh, you know, even if it, it's better to look back and say, you know, we probably overreacted or we, we wouldn't have had to have done this, but uh, that's a lot better than looking back saying, well, we should have done this or we should have done that. Uh, we want to do what's best for people's health and to uh, – you know, make the overall impact of this as, as less as it possibly can be. Certainly, certainly. Thank you so much. And that is exactly what uh, uh, the administration is doing, and, and I know you will be doing there uh, to the degree that you can on Capitol Hill. Well, let's move to uh, uh, something I know you love to talk about. Uh, uh, Congressman Westerman, you are uh, uh, a forester and uh Supporting the timber industry and forestry industry is is very close and dear to your heart. And you earlier this year introduced the Trillion Trees Act. Uh, talk about that and how this will help uh, our forestry industry and why it's so important and needed right now. Yeah, this is a bill that I've been working on for quite some time. Actually, Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy the minority leader, and I have been working on this piece of legislation and it addresses a lot of different issues, but what I tell people, Ken, is I'm just taking some of the stuff we do in Arkansas and trying to figure out how to help the rest of the world uh, by applying uh, some of the things that we've learned there in Arkansas. Uh, you know, with all this going on with the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus, uh, I spent three hours this week over at the White House in meetings talking about the Trillium Tree Act and how we can, can move it forward. And I know this virus is going to be dominating the news um, for the foreseeable future, but um, hopefully we're going to be able to start focusing on policy issues again. And with Arbor Day coming up, 
you know, if, if it all works out, we'll probably be over at the White House doing an event on that day. Uh, but uh, last summer, there was a paper presented or, or published out of, um, uh, I believe it was out of Zurich, and they said that if we planted a trillion trees across the globe, that we would reduce 205 gigatons of, of carbon. And, and we know that trees carry on photosynthesis, and that basically takes carbon dioxide out of the air, combines it with water and sunlight, and makes plant food out of the carbon and sends the oxygen back uh, into the atmosphere. Um, Teddy Roosevelt called trees the lungs of the earth. They breathe in the carbon dioxide and breathe out the oxygen, uh, just like or just the opposite of our lungs breathing in oxygen and exhaling carbon dioxide. So this is a this would be great for the environment if we could grow more trees. And most people just naturally know that trees are a good thing, and the more trees we have, uh, probably a better, healthier, uh, cleaner environment that we're going to have. Uh, the researchers think we've got uh, about three trillion trees on the earth right now. Some think that at one point in time we might have had as many as six trillion trees on the earth, and we've got about 300 billion or 10 percent of those trees here in the United States. So uh, what we want to do is, is plant trees in areas where we can plant trees. Urban areas are a big area that that could happen. Um, There's some marginal agriculture lands where we could plant trees. I've spoken with, with Ducks Unlimited, and uh, they've got a lot of wetlands and conservation easements where uh, that, you know, maybe at one time were bottomland hardwoods where we could plant trees, uh, mine reclamation projects. Uh, there's places on federal lands where trees could be planted. Uh, but overall, we do a pretty good job of managing our forests here in the U.S. Uh, and we need to not only plant trees, but we need to manage the forests that we have to make them uh, more healthy and resilient. And that'll also that'll actually have more positive effect on pulling carbon out of the atmosphere uh, than just planting more trees, and especially here in the U.S. Um, so my bill, the Tree and Trees Act, not only focuses on planting trees, but it focuses on uh, healthy forests, on public and private lands. And the, what we need more on private lands than anything else are markets to put our timber into. And we know we've got a strong uh, forest products industry and paper industry in Arkansas, yet we're still growing about 16 million tons a year more wood than what we're using. So to put that in perspective, there's uh, 16 million more tons of, of wood in the forest of Arkansas today than there was this time last year, even though we harvest a tremendous amount of timber uh, to make wood products. Uh, it's counterintuitive that you can cut trees uh, and grow more wood at the same time, but those trees need space to grow and they need nutrients, and we know the science on how to do that. Uh, but my bill also has a sustainable building tax credit uh, that would incentivize sustainable building products. And that's not just wood. It's anything that goes into a building that makes that building um, use less energy and carbon to manufacture and transport materials, use less energy and produce less carbon uh, to heat and maintain and operate, you know, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, appliances, lighting, all of those things would qualify for the tax credit. And finally, uh, how much carbon is stored in the building 
completed. So uh, it's a it's a bill that does a lot more than just plant trees. It plants trees, grows wood, and stores uh, more carbon. And it's also got some uh, some STEM education components to it, with like a fifth grade forestry challenge. It creates public private partnerships where uh, and there's it's it's amazing the outpouring of of businesses and and NGOs and organizations that want to participate in the program to supply uh, labor, to supply uh, partials to plant trees on, and to supply funding for trees. Uh, we want to get kids involved in this, and I think it's it's a really positive uh, uh, effort that we're putting forth here that's going to have a big impact on how people view forestry and the health and resiliency of forest, not just in the United States, but around the world, as we've got an international component to it as well. So that was uh, that was long, but it was you know much about as concise a description as I could give you on the bill. Well, I appreciate that very very much. And uh, do you have uh, some good bipartisan support for uh, for the bill uh, there in the House, so that you can move this through, hopefully uh, uh, on a you know a pretty soon. So it is bipartisan. I've got a couple of Democrats on the bill right now, and uh, a lot of other ones are are looking at it. When I get a chance to sit down and talk to them about it, um, they get really excited about what we're talking about in the bill. Um, there are the naysayers out there that say, you know, they basically take the position that Republicans can't do anything good for the environment. Uh, this is just a smokescreen. Uh, but when they when they understand what's in the bill and and that this is real conservation, it's real environmental stewardship, um, they're they're starting to come around to it. And uh, like I said, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people you wouldn't think of that are are getting involved in this. Uh, one you know one of the biggest uh, proponents of the bill is a guy named Mark Benioff, who's the the CEO of a company called Salesforce, that um, he he was actually at the World Economic Forum in Davos when uh, President Trump announced we were going to join the Trillion Trees Initiative. And uh, he's, he's from San Francisco, California, uh, probably not the most conservative person you'd ever meet, but he's all about, uh, about this tree bill. Uh, and I got a chance to meet him. Uh, when I was at the White House, and he's he's almost as almost as passionate about trees as I am. Well, we'll just be hoping and watching, uh, you know, how it moves through. Uh, what type of uh, timetable do you think you may have for action on this in the House? Well, it depends on how the uh, how the momentum picks up. Uh, we're also working with uh, there's a lot of senators that are interested in it. And, uh, you know, they're wanting to offer a Senate version. And, and my challenge is to the senators has to been, it's been to find a, a Democratic co-sponsor so it can be bipartisan in the Senate like it is in the House. And uh, we need to just build momentum on it uh, and, and and get the ball moving forward. The White House is pretty bullish about it, thinking that, uh, uh, you know, like you mentioned, it is an election year. we got all this other stuff going on. Um, but we think there's some vehicles where this could possibly get uh, debated and voted on and signed into law this year, but, you know, all the right things are going to have to happen uh, for that to take place. 
Congressman, let's uh, talk about one other issue that I know our uh, County Farm Bureau uh, presidents who were on the Hill with you uh, just recently brought up, and uh, it's a very important uh, issue. It's the issue of expanding broadband Internet access to rural Arkansans and rural Americans. Uh, And even right now, in view of the fact that many students are going to be asked to uh, do online uh, education uh, while this uh, virus issue is resolved for a time. For those that live in rural communities, they don't have access to uh, the Internet, and that make, creates a, a big, big challenge. Uh, what type of movement do you see on that issue in Congress uh, this year, again, uh, considering it is an election year? Yeah, well, fortunately, there that was one of the things the, the Trump administration was uh, adamant about working on when they first, when the president first came into office, uh, when we were in the, the majority in the House and the Senate, we got uh, programs into the Farm Bill for Rural Broadband, and we also got programs into the uh, the FCC to help develop rural broadband. And Arkansas is actually doing a a good job in some places, not all places, uh, because of the the people just haven't come along to develop the projects there. But, you know, in my district down in uh, Washtenaw County and in Camden, I think it's either a five- or seven-county area there, uh, the uh, Rural Electric Cooperative is working with a rural area telephone company, and they've got a program where they're running fiber optics to the last, uh, you know, we call it the last mile. They're able to hit uh, all the homes out in the, the country, taking some time to uh you know do that and what they needed was was the capital uh and we were able to help through a low interest loan through usda uh to give them the capital uh so they could uh build this out uh the economics work they you know charge a fair price to people who are getting it they're able to pay the government back for the loan that they got and at the end of the day people are getting high-speed broadband there's another exciting thing happening that uh, I didn't know about it until the uh, AETN, I know they just changed their, their name in Arkansas, but the, the public television network, uh, they're working on a program to broadcast high-speed broadband, and uh, this is through an FCC program, and this will be excellent for farmers. Uh, it'll only be a, a receiving mechanism it's it's high speed um, from the from the internet to the individual. The individual will have to have a method to communicate back to the internet. But if you're thinking about farm equipment that needs uh, uh, information from the internet while it's out operating in the most uh, rural of areas, uh, you know anywhere there's a TV signal that can be broadcast, you can tap into the or soon we'll be able to tap into broadband that way. Very good. Well, let's just uh, hope that we can uh, get something done. I know the uh, Governor Hussington is very much in support of this, and funding is available, has been made available for those partnerships that you referenced uh, through the Farm Bill, the 2018 Farm Bill. We just need, as you said, more uh, communities to uh, take advantage of that funding. Isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, the, the individual that manages those programs for USDA back in Arkansas has told me that uh, they've they've got more funding than they've got companies coming to them with uh, 
with valid projects. You know, if you had some more projects like what they're doing down in uh, Washita County, uh, I believe there's funding there to help get those projects off the ground and moving. So hopefully those entrepreneurs are out there uh, coming up with ways to uh, get more rural broadband out. I know what AETN is doing sounds like that can be a, uh, a tremendous benefit to rural uh, Arkansas, and I'm sure that's being done uh, in other parts of the country as well. Congressman, just uh, concluding our conversation this afternoon, uh, uh, what's one final word of encouragement you might give to your constituents and our listeners on this edition of AgCast? Well, given all, everything with uh, uh, COVID-19 and, and the state of everything, you know, I, I'm scheduled to be home in Arkansas uh, next week, and I had a lot of things scheduled that were uh, – you know, probably not going to. I know we're not going to be able to do all of those events. Uh, my schedule is probably going to be limited more doing uh, media and trying to keep people updated on things. But I, I got to ask on a radio interview this morning. You know what? What am I going to do next week? And when I get through my wife's honeydew list, I'm going to I'm going to plant my garden. I used to do a lot of gardening before I got into Congress, and it takes so much time. I haven't. I don't have much time to do it. So I encourage people to find something to do. Uh, out in the the beautiful outdoors that we have in Arkansas, you know, there's places to to hunt and fish and and I guess you can what, what are they calling it? Quarantining yourself. And yeah. I I can't think of a better place. I'd rather be quarantined than out in the, the beautiful state of Arkansas, or whether it's out in my yard or in my garden, or uh, or out on Lake Washita trying to catch a crappie. So um, I'll be uh, I'll be doing what I can uh, remotely and. Uh, you know, possibly some events that I'll go to, but the schedule's all up in the air right now. Well, Congressman Westerman, we appreciate your representation for the 4th District here in Arkansas and all you do for your constituents, and uh, we appreciate you very, very much taking time to uh, update us on what's going on in our country, in our government, and uh, on these important pieces of legislation that you're uh, standing behind right now. Well, Ken, I appreciate you. I appreciate the the Farm Bureau and all that that you all stand for. And uh, it's just an honor to get to be part of this team and uh, get to represent the great folks of Arkansas. We've been speaking with Congressman Bruce Westerman, our uh, uh, 4th District Congressman here in Arkansas, uh, on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Next, Greg Patterson talks to Oklahoma-based cattle broker Jamie Morris about the beating the beef cattle market has taken during the COVID-19 crisis. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're having an opportunity to speak with Jamie Morris. Now, Jamie is a broker with the Western Commission Company based in Oklahoma City at the stockyards there. And uh, Jamie, welcome to the program. Thank you. So what's going on with the beef cattle market right now? Well, we've we've seen some value of the cattle, you know, pretty much decimated, kind of like the rest of the financial world. You know, it's it's taking its toll. Uh, you know, it's it's been hard on everybody. We're seeing a lot of, you know, the cattle numbers have fallen quite a bit. A lot of people are scared to sell right now, afraid of the prices. Uh, those still have pasture or stretching their pasture, trying to make it go a little further. Uh, the people that, you know, might have to sell due to paying off the bank notes, they're talking to the bankers, seeing if they can go a little bit further. So our runs have been extremely light here lately. 
So t talk a little bit about that run. You were obviously were at the sales Monday and Tuesday, and and uh, comparatively speaking, what did you see on Monday and Tuesday versus what you normally would see? Monday, we only had about 1,200 cattle. Uh, a lot of them were cattle that, you know, were forced to come to town for one reason or another. Uh, you know, traditionally, we should have this time in early March coming off of wheat pasture. You know, it's not uncommon to have ten to 12,000 cattle. And, uh, because, one, we had, you know, we had weather. It was extremely wet around, but the biggest part of it has been people scared, you know, of the market, knowing they're going to take less for their cattle this time. Now, is, is the market taking a beating uh, like everything else is right now because of the uh, virus scare that's that's going on? Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, uh, there's, I think, just a fear factor where this thing might go. Uh, you know, a lot of nervousness. Uh, you know, uh, if you look at the meat markets, you know, they've been putting a lot of money on boxed beef. You know, you hear about the stores, they're selling all their meat, you know, just as quick as they can stock it and sell it. So, you know, the, the consumption, you know, that's not a fear, you know, as much as what's going to happen down the road. So the, so the health of the market is what you're saying has been very good. As far as the meat, yes. Right. Yes. You know, as far as the, the live cattle, the actual product, you know, the, the packers, they're buying them on a cheaper market. They've, you know... Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we was getting a dollar nineteen for a fat cattle. You know, they broke that down to a dollar thirteen and a dollar ten. Right. However, you know, they're actually, like I said, they put close to thirty dollars on our box beef on our choice select cuts. You know, it's, it's gone up in you know on, on the retail side of it. So you know, the packers, although they're already making a lot of money, they they continue to make even more profits. Right. Uh, you know, but it's not trickling down. You know, you have people on the other end, you know, a lot of people with the fat cattle are probably nervous, you know, and willing to take less money to make sure they're getting the money. Plus, you know, a lot of those cattle that are hedged, you know, they're, they're protected there, so they're moving the product. A dollar ten, it could be worse the way they look at it. Their hedges are making up for it. Right. Uh, that being said, you know, a lot of people down the road, you know, there's probably a lot of nervousness about, you know, first of all, unemployment, you know, these people that aren't going to work, companies that are shutting down, you know, for two weeks, so, you know, the biggest fear probably is that it might get extended, you know, so we might face somewhat of an unemployment crisis across the United States. Uh, you know, another thing people are concerned about would be your supply chain. You know, right now, the, all the packing houses are up and going, you know, and killing them. They're making a lot of money. They're killing them as fast as they can. Right. You know, but... You know, everybody is aware that there could be a disruption in that chain. You know, we hope that's never the case. And, you know, we have some of the safest food in, in, in the world, you know, here in the United States. And hopefully it continues that way, but there's always that chance that some packing houses could close down. Now, for the, yes. average, the, average, the average consumer who's out there and going to the grocery store, they're not seeing any effect of this right now. But, as you mentioned, if there is you know, a, a breakdown in the chain, so to speak, that's when the consumer at the grocery store begins to see it. Yes. yes. And they're, they're going to see it now. You know, as long as it's coming off the shelf, you know, your grocery stores and packers, you know, they're in it to make a profit. You know, if they see room to, you know, go up in prices, I'm sure they will. Sure. You know, and however, you know, that's not getting passed right now. It's not getting passed on to the producer. You know, it's, there's, you know, as far as there's a, 
in the last two, three weeks, there's been a lot of nervousness in the markets, you know, and you're seeing that a lot of your corporate feeders, you know, are not doing much. You know, you still have an interest in people think feeling in their heart that these kind of, you know, need to be bought. But they, at the end of the day, they're still nervous about where this market could go. And they're buying the cattle accordingly. Now, folks at home are, you know, just the, the you know, average Americans turning on the TV and, and they have friends that are, let's say, in the restaurant business and restaurants are, you know, shutting down as far as having either reduced customer use um, or shutting down completely, um, at some point, that's going to play into this market as well, correct? Yes, you know, you, you know, we definitely, you know, we're seeing the restaurants that's full, you know, for the last several years, you know, our restaurants have been full, cars in the parking lot, you know, the, the business has been good, and we're seeing that fall off. You know, my personal feeling is, you know, that may be the case, but people haven't quit eating, you know, so we're going to, you know, we're selling probably more meat to the American housewife, you know, or the demand, like I said, is still there. The right. Off the shelf. It's not, you know, sitting in the store rotting, you know, it's, it's, it's going off the shelf. You know, I, I think you might, it might apply more to certain cats, a lot of your choice prime cats that are sold in restaurants. You know, correct, you correct. On them. But a lot of your roast, hamburger, you know, briskets, I, I see, you know, a good demand for them for a while. You know, people have to eat. That's just a simple fact, you know. So, you know, you might see, you know, people buying a, you know, instead of looking at the choice cats, paying a little extra, they might, you know, settle for, you know, the select cats, buy a little cheaper meat, but they're still going to eat. Now, also, how long can this kind of thing go on? Um, you, you mentioned the nervousness among ranchers right now, you know, do I, am I forced to sell now versus, you know, selling when, when they're more comfortable to sell your experience in the industry, how long can something like this go on until you really start feeling pinches? Eventually people have to sell cattle. Currently, you know, a lot of people have pasture. You know, wheat pasture, because of wheat prices, they feel comfortable going ahead and grazing out their wheat pastures. Uh, those cattle, a lot of these cattle wheat be selling today. We'll probably come here, you know, eventually be selling a lot of those cattle in May. Unless they decide, you know, people decide to feed them themselves, go another four months feeding their own cattle. Right. Uh, you know, but, you know, as long as the banks will cooperate with a lot of people, you know, they'll hold off as long as they can. Luckily, we're getting in the time of year, you know, where grass will be coming on soon. You know, they can kind of feed them along what they have to. But once grass gets here, you know, it's easy. It's a lot easier for people to hold off when, when they're not having to go to the store or spend money to buy feed. You know, but so we're, we're in a position where people can hold cattle right now and, you know, kind of minimize their cost of holding them. But eventually, you know, after a while, it's, you know, time to do something. You, you have to sell them or, like I said, if you decide to retain ownership to the feeder, feedlots, you know, you have that option. But, you know, when our wheat pasture plays out, you know, come May, June, you know, it's, you know, the cattle are just going to sit there and lose weight. You either, you know, right. sell the weight you have, sell less. If you hold on to them, they're going backwards, you know, and that's just not a good scenario at all. So that forces you to either one, sell the cattle or continue on, you know, and retain ownership to the feedlot. Now, I understand you're an Arkansas boy, grew up where, Wicks? 
Well, my dad was raised north of Decoy, in the town of Gillum. Okay, in Gillum, and, and you obviously, I mean, you're based there in Oklahoma City, but you've got a lot of connections to southwest Arkansas, correct? Yes, yes, sir. I have a lot of family down there, uh, you know, mostly that north of Queen area, and, you know, because, you know, probably 20-some years have gone down there and doing business with people. I was going to say, you got a lot of ranchers that, are, that, are, that work with you. Yes, got, I've gotten to know a lot of people over the years down there, a lot of good people, a lot of really good people. So, so yeah, I, you know, I know the country well, even though I'm an Okie. You know, well. <laughs> so, so in your opinion, just kind of a you know a, a look see, uh, what kind of effect is 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 there any effect yet on the Southwest Arkansas um, ranchers, or is there just a kind of a heightened sensitivity to what's going on right now? You know, from what I'm seeing is, you know the agriculture as a whole, the producer, they're hurting. You know, the last few years have not been good. You know, and we're just holding on, you know, your your costs are so high now with equipment, fertilize, fuel, you know, everything, you know, your expenses are so high. Right. You know, what we've been getting, you know, for either, you know, for the row crop farmers, you know, the prices might have not been good, you know, in the last few years. And, you know, cattle, we're just, you know, we've, We've had a couple of good months out of the year the last few years, but for the most part, it's just, you know, we're just keeping our head above water. Uh, this, you know, in the, up here in our country, you know, the, the wheat farming has been not been good for several years. Uh, some of some them people, you know, held on to the cattle making money to get them through. Well, now, this year especially, they're looking at cattle just hopefully bring back their first cost, you know. So it's, it's crippling a lot of farmers. It's... it's it was already hurting, and this is having a bad effect. But, you know, I hate to use the word devastating, but it, it's tough. It's real tough. Well, and and you add to it the uh, fact that there was tremendous flooding, uh, both in Oklahoma and Arkansas last year. You also had trade wars uh, that were ongoing, and and where meat could could actually land internationally, and now you have. Uh, coronavirus coming through. There's been, been a lot of hits, but a farmer and a rancher, they've got to get up every day and get out there and work. Yes, and you know, and you know, one thing about, you know, farmers and people in agriculture, they are a resilient bunch, you know, and they're passionate about what they're doing. That's why they do it, you know. We know anybody that's been in this business long term knows it's not a get-rich program. You know, it's, it's you better enjoy it because it's you know, it's a labor of love, you know, but at the same time, you hope to at least make out a comfortable living. Sure. It, it's, get, it's been hard to do that the last few years. It's been extremely hard, you know, and this just, you know, makes it a little harder. You know, do I think we'll overcome it? You know, eventually, yes, you know, but it's just, it's tough. It's real tough. Now, you're over in, in Oklahoma City at the stockyards for the sales on Mondays and Tuesdays, and Anybody who's ever been to a sale, um, it, it's a cultural thing. It's it's a, uh, you know, it's like people who are meeting at church or meeting at any other group gathering. You you enjoy each other's company. With the uh, coronavirus issues going on, do you envision maybe sometime where you know you're sitting in front of a computer watching a sale online rather than uh, being there live? You know. 
we have some of that already kind of in place. You have video auctions. Right. You know, they've, they've tried the internet, tried it, it didn't really take off like, you, you know, some had hoped. Uh, but at the end of the day, a lot of people, they want to be able to look at the cattle and make sure the product they're sending is what's what they're supposed to be. Exactly. So, you know, and that's, that's what we're saying on video, some of those cattle that are sold, you know, way out, you know, for the future delivery, you know, you don't know what them cattle are going to look like in three months. You have an idea. And plus, you know, the cattle, there's a, in this business, you kind of need to make sure that the product is what it's supposed to be before it gets on the truck. Sure. You know, and, and with your buyers, your older buyers in, in the crowd, you know, they're, they're evaluating the cattle and they're, they're held responsible to make sure those cattle are what they're supposed to be when they get to the feed lot. You know, um, so, you know, there's always going to be a demand, you know, for an auction, you know, uh, there's just, you know, a lot of people want to lay eyes on what they're buying for or have a representative, you know, from the feedlots, you know, whoever's buying the farmers, buying the calves. They want somebody that they, they value their opinion on the cattle, they're looking at the cattle, you know, and they know what the rates are when they weigh them, you know, they, things like that, the condition of the cattle, you know, that's one thing about an auction that, you know, will always happen for that reason. People can lay their eyes on what they're buying. Well, Jamie Morris, thank you so much for spending time with us today on Arkansas AgCast. Jamie's a broker. He's based out of Oklahoma City at the National Stockyards there. He works for the Western Commission Company, and he has a lot of clients that are out of southwest Arkansas. And Jamie, we wish you the best. We hope the market bumps back up and we can get past all this uh, virus uh, issues that are ongoing. Appreciate you spending time with us. I appreciate it and wish everybody well. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. Now Greg talks to Dr. Michael Looper from the University of Arkansas about caring for the school's livestock during a shutdown. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau. And on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're talking with uh, Dr. Michael Looper. He's the department head with animal science at the University of Arkansas. And <laughs> Michael, there's a whole lot of changes that have been going on, obviously, with, with students shifting to online for courses, but you guys run a farm up there. I mean, you've got livestock and, and what are you having to do to, to make sure they're taken care of on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, absolutely. You know, things are, things are very fluid at this time uh, in history. And so things that we probably have not thought about or prepared for uh, to this extent. But, uh, you know, as of last week, uh, the University of Arkansas suspended any face-to-face -face contact uh, with, uh, with the courses here that's offered on the campus. And so a lot of our faculty have been involved in preparing uh, online lectures, getting that information out to the students. And so uh, uh, faculty are still here. The campus is still open, uh, but the students are meeting face-to-face. -face. And you're absolutely right. Uh, we, we have uh, our Savoy unit. Uh, we have our cow calf and our stalker unit. Uh, those are mouths that need to be fed each and every day. And then here closer to Fayetteville, uh, to the campus, is our North Farm, our Milo Schultz Experiment Station there. And so uh, we have uh, you know, a flock of sheep, some pigs there, some cattle as well. And so, uh, uh, you, you know, the students, the hourly employees are still here as of today. And so that may change again as we talked about this pretty fluid situation. But uh, uh, we've identified essential employees that will continue to uh, uh, keep our farms operating during this time. Um, some of the faculty will be uh, in and out helping with that as well. 
Okay, uh, you mentioned you've got these animals to take care of and you do have staff on site on some of the farms. So um, how are they handling taking care of the animals right now? Yeah, you know, so I guess one of the major benefits of our Savoy unit is that we uh, have uh, staff, employees that actually live on site. And so what we're doing is being very mindful of, of the seriousness of the situation. Uh, we're allowing them to stagger their schedules uh, so some folks can be there, uh, you know, kind of do a rotational um, uh, type of approach to this where there's not a lot of contact between employees. Again, the animals need to be fed. Uh, but the bottom line is we want to make sure that we're not exposing anyone um, to, to unnecessary dangers there. And so uh, the animals are being fed. Uh, central research is still ongoing. Anything that can be pushed back till summer or fall, uh, we would you know want to want to make sure that uh, our research integrity is safeguarded during this time. But anything that can be scheduled for later on, uh, we're going to we're going to push that uh, those start dates for later later in the summer or this fall. Well, it sounds to me like you've got a uh, major operation going on there, just like any farmer would, and and it's not like you can just stop everything. So uh, a lot of action going on there. Uh, as you mentioned, from meeting to meeting, um, you're not sure exactly what's going to happen next. Yeah, you know, and again, we are uh, being mindful of the situation. We're... Uh listening to the upper administration here in the Division of Agriculture, uh, Dr. Mark Cochran you know, was, was on a conference call. We had a, a scheduled Zoom meeting this morning to, to address these situations. Uh, we're probably going to move to some sort of telecommuting, teleworking type uh, activities uh, here in the next uh, day or so, uh, allowing folks, again, you know, as I mentioned, so we, we do the teaching and the research uh, here on campus, and, and we have an extension component, uh, part of animal sciences down at Little Rock. And so... But, you know, there's a lot of things in play, um, but again, we want to continue to do our, our job, uh, but we want to make sure that we are limiting ourselves to exposure and uh, us to exposing uh, other people. Uh, but animals got to be fed. Research has to be continued. Uh, we may, it may just look a little different now, uh, and we may be postponing some of those things uh, until we can get some clarification of uh, when it's safe to do that. You know, obviously, out-of-state travel, uh, we're not doing any of that right now, so any research that would be going on, large conferences, uh, some research conferences uh, were scheduled, uh, they're scheduled for early part of the summer, we're, we yet to see if those will occur, uh, some ones in June, ones in July, uh, we'll just have to wait and see if those are still in place, some of our field days uh, will be in jeopardy of being canceled, I'm super sure they probably at some point there'll be an official announcement on some of those as well. Well, this is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau's AgCast. We've been talking with Dr. Michael Looper, the Department Head of Animal Science at the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville. And Dr. Looper, we want to uh, definitely um, wish you all the best of luck in up there and taking care of those animals. And thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Thank you very much. Lastly, Greg learns about a new online pesticide training and certification program from Pless Spradley, an associate professor in charge of pesticide assessment with the U of A Division of Agriculture. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're talking with Pless Spradley. He's an associate professor in charge of pesticide assessment, uh, works for the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture, and Pless uh, let's talk a little bit about the fact that you guys now have moved to some online certification for uh, pesticide training, and why is that the case right now? 
Well, Greg, first of all, thanks for having me on to talk about this because things are, have really changed in the last two weeks. Um, you know, traditionally, we provide certification training for private applicators, farmers, and commercial applicators. And we do it primarily with uh, face-to-face training. Um, but with the COVID-19, the coronavirus, it's changed everything just in a matter of a week. And very fortunately, we're towards the end of our training uh, season, but there's still a lot of people out there that need it. Uh, so we, since we're at the end, that, that helps with the numbers, but we decided we had to provide online training. Uh, that's the only way we could get it done because we've just been shut down with face-to-face meetings. Yeah, because the, the other thing is, obviously, you've got farmers, ranchers, commercial operators, a bunch of people who are interested in this kind of training. They may, become, they may be new to the business, or they may be coming up on a, a five-year recertification, and all of a sudden they're going, shoot, my, my training class got canceled. Exactly, and a lot of these guys sometimes wait till the last minute and they're used to us accommodating them and it's uh so we had to do something and we had to move real quickly now we late in 2019 a project i've been working on was to provide online recertification for uh, for private applicators because we've we needed to uh lessen the load on the county agents for all the training they were doing. Right. And there's a long background, but now instead of having a, a, a tight training season, we've got guys that need training all through the year. So we started working on a uh, recertification for private applicators. We rolled that out at the end of 2019, but little did we know that we were going to be in this situation. But we had set the precedent. We had a, a system that was up and running. So what we're doing right now is a adapting that so any applicator that needs recertification or first-timer training can get it online now it's just gone live and it's uh, as of this morning or late yesterday it's uh, it's still confusing because i was told my secretary for commercial applicators they click on a link and it tells them this is the private applicator training so we're working on trying to eliminate that confusion, but we've got a method for it. And I was going to say another reason that, that backs up what you're saying about people really needing this is we've got new regulations, uh, federal regulations for Paraquat, for Dicamba, uh, and for the 24D uh, enlist technology. Right that everybody has to have a license now for some of these. It used to be you could have a worker with the, that would work under your direct supervision. And he might have worker protection standard training, but he did not have a license. And now the label clearly says you have to be licensed in order to mix, load, apply, clean equipment. So we've got a new group of people, not a huge group, but a new group of people that need their training and licensing for the first time. Right, and it's critical to get the word out to folks um, that things have changed. Um, Obviously, the one-on-one and the group meetings, I've been to many of them myself, um, that Extension does normally are are really beneficial because you have that face-to-face communication, but 
it's important now to get that word out to folks who may not know or are trying to think, what do I do now when they're either trying to get certification for the first time or, or recertification? Yeah, and I'm almost thankful for the rain we're getting right now because at least that'll take some of the pressure off of the early season activities for farmers. Sure. I talked to uh, a farmer this morning who said that uh, they were going to go online and get get certified. They were uh, either going to have to work in the shop or sit in the house in front of a computer with the rain being the way it is. Because a lot, you know, we're we're into the the third week of March and a lot of the uh, pasture weeds and whatnot uh, need to be hit or hit for a second time already by our ranchers. I, I know. And so uh, I'm glad maybe things have slowed down and they can get out there and do the training. So, uh, so, so yeah. te- tell about, tell about the, uh, the, the online program itself. What, what, what will people see and what do they need to expect? How long is it? You know, that kind okay. of stuff. Well, what you would do is go to our website and we've, we've simplified it. We'll take it directly to the pesticide applicator training. If you just, uh, type in UAEX dot edu slash pat okay so uaex dot edu and that's a forward slash uh pat that's it and it'll take you right to the page and then you'll you'll either see private applicator or commercial non-commercial you click on that and it'll it'll walk you through it okay it's uh but the one thing that might be a little bit confusing until we get it fixed is if they went on there today and they're a commercial applicator and they get the commercial training, their option for certification, it's going to say private applicator, but take it. <laughs> That's what you want. Okay. Uh, and and it, uh, it's a series of modules. First, you have to set up an account. So you have to have an email address. No way around that. And you'll so be aware of that. You set up an account, and then it lets you access, and then it's a series of modules. I think it's, it, it may say seven modules, but one of them is just an introductory thing. And the total time to do it, and it's, it's you know, we'll have, we got safety, drift mitigation, environmental concerns, application sure. equipment, calibration, the typical program, and it's narrated. So it's a seri- uh, set of narrated slide sets that run, and... You can't just start it and let it run. You have to click through it. And plus, there are embedded questions in the training. Every one of the modules has some embedded questions. And it comes to that, and it won't proceed until you answer the question correctly. Okay. So you can back up to see previous slides, but you can't move forward. You right. have to answer the question. And I like that. It makes sure everybody's paying attention. So, uh, so some... It's- if someone's going to sit down and do this, um, uh, do they need to brew some coffee first or grab a sandwich and sit down and do it? How long is it going to take? You can back out of it. If you sit and do it straight through, I think I timed myself at about two and a half hours. Okay. But you can get through a module and then take a break and come back and it'll put you right back where you were. Or that's the way it's supposed to work. Okay. And uh, and then at the end, you have to make sure that you go through, uh, print the certificate, or there's one last step. And once you've 
fully completed it, you don't have to send anything into the plant board. They have a record of you having completed the certification. Okay. That's good. And, uh, but the important step is for any applicator, certification is what the extension service provides, the training. But everybody has to work with the plant board. And I've got to quit saying plant board. It's the Arkansas Agriculture Department now. And, uh, but you have to work with them on the license. They handle all the licenses. And every year we get some guys confused or people confused where they've gone through the certification. You know, they pay me some money for the training or they pay the county agent and they think everything's done. Well, you still have to fill out a license application form. And for commercial applicators, they can only get a one-year license. So every year they have to fill out the form and send it to the plant board with the license fees. And then private applicators have an option of a one- or a five-year license. Right. Um, so, but it's very important to understand the extension service just certifies you. You still have to get licensed. And that that's obviously important for uh, people who are doing this for the first time. They may not understand that there are two... Yes. Separate things, because, you know, when you hear the word certification, you think, boy, I'm good to go. But as you're mentioning, and I'm, I'm sitting on your website, this exact website right now, and it, it specifically says, and it has a link where it says, contact the Arkansas Department of Agriculture Plant Industries Division for information regarding certification and recertification exams for pesticide applicators. And then uh, it talks later on specifically about um, getting the license as well. So uh, yes. folks need to do that. Is there any cost, plus for uh, folks to take this um, education course to get certified? Yes. Uh, farmers will pay a $20 fee, which is what they pay for the face-to-face uh, -face training. Uh, at the county level so right. there's no increase or reduction just to simplify things we're going to keep the same fees commercial applicators uh, will pay fifty dollars just like they do now for face-to-face -face training right now um and, and it's and it's done online so you know you will need a uh, i can't remember what or i think paypal is accepted but we can also take a credit card okay okay so folks need to expect to pay uh, a little money to have this certification and training taken care of. What else do folks need to know? Is there anything else um, that they yes. need to pay attention to? If they have any trouble, we usually direct them. I mean, I can help a little bit, but we need to get them to one of our IT people. Sure. I don't think she'll mind me telling her. Uh, her <laughs> I don't have her phone number, but I think it's listed on there. We, we say if you have trouble, but her name is Gretchen Skinner. Okay. And she, she does a remarkable job. Now, we're also facing what we're going to be able to do because, you know, there's almost, uh, we, they're trying to figure out a telecommuting policy. And I'm just afraid we're not going to have some critical people in the office, but we'll, we'll get it taken care of. Sure. Because so we will. because of the, the virus scenario and the governor's declaration of a state of emergency, um, here in the, in the state, um, you guys being state employees are somewhat limited in what you can do right now, as far as movement goes. Obviously the, 
the face-to-face -face training has been canceled because of that. So I think what you're trying to tell people here is there may be a few bumps in the road simply because um, of, of what's going on with the uh, coronavirus. Yeah, be patient, but at least in my programming, uh, we are so aware of the time of year it is and how farming activities are going to take off very shortly. They have already started, like you mentioned, with the pasture guys, uh, and there's uh, row crop farmers itching to get out there. Sure. So we're, we're going to make it work, and that's what the plant board has told me to. We're going to make this work somehow. So, uh, and I know farmers, they're going to do what they need to do. So <laughs> we'll, we'll get it all worked out, uh, but things are changing daily with what we're being asked to do by administrators and in our work process. So be patient, uh, and we're working as fast as we can, and we'll get it worked out some way. Well, he is Pless Bradley, an associate professor. Um, he's in charge of pesticide assessment. Um, with the University of Arkansas's Division of Agriculture. We've been talking about the ability of folks to be able to go online, our producers, whether you're a farmer or rancher, and, and get certification, uh, whether it's first time or your five-year recertification uh, for pesticide use. And Pless, thank you so much for spending time with uh, Arkansas AgCast today and getting this important message out to our producers. Well, Greg, I really appreciate you and Farm Bureau giving us a chance to utilize your podcast to get the word out. Uh, getting the word out is, is critical right now. So I really do appreciate it we do with the university. So thank you. You bet. Go ahead and give us that um a website that folks can go online and take this education training one more time, please. All right. Uh, just U-A-E-X dot E-D-U forward slash P-A-T. Plus, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. This is Greg Patterson, and you have been listening to Arkansas AgCast from Arkansas Farm Bureau. That's all for this week. Arkansas AgCast returns next week with the latest news and updates about Arkansas agriculture.